Hi, I'm Ulysses, and this is Music, Meaning, and Mystery, a podcast for the other musicians. A shiny new tagline to celebrate this podcast's 12 month anniversary. I'm very glad to have been able to have all these great guests to learn from, and I'm also appreciative of your listening ear. As a gesture of my appreciation, I am doing a giveaway. This giveaway is sort of my answer to this podcast's traditional closing question What should people listen to? I am giving away an infinite piece of music. One of my favorite musicians, Brian Eno, created an app which makes music he calls generative. It plays ambient music, which is always changing. It also has a feature that allows you to play an infinitely changing lock screen for your phone. What is brilliant about this piece of music is that its moods follow the rhythm of the four seasons, the great cycle. I think this is especially good for those of us with jobs that allow us to listen to a lot of music or podcasts all day. I find it's also great as background music in the home while reading or doing housework. The app only works for iPhones, but if you are an Android user, please enter the giveaway nonetheless. I have a backup plan if you win. I promise you'll get something equally cool. To enter the giveaway, it's very easy. All you need to do is send me an email and include the words giveaway 2022 in the subject line. Send that to musicmeaningandmystery at gmail.com or go to musicmeaningandmystery.com and use the contact page to send me your email. I will keep the giveaway open until September 2022. And announce the winner in the September episode of the podcast. And the winner will receive their prize shortly after the announcement. Also, I'll remind you of this giveaway at the end of the podcast. So for now, just relax and enjoy my conversation with Sue Terry, who was the very first guest of this podcast. As always, links in the show notes. I uh, have been reading this book called The Music of Life. Oh, that looks cool. Is that Hazrat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know I this have, guy? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much. I have a whole collection of his books. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, this is, I've read just uh, maybe, I've read 60, 45 pages, something like that. And my mind is already melted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does talk about the mystery of sound. One of uh, it goes, uh, all things being derived from and formed of vibrations have sound hidden within them as fire is hidden in flint. And each atom of the universe confesses by its tone, my soul origin is sound. If any solid or hollow sonorous body is struck, it will answer back, I am sound. This was the first time that I was able to respect kind of like the new age perspective, vibes, vibrations, frequencies. People use those terms in the circles I run in, but I never really knew what those terms meant. I, I, I get it, I get it, but without having an understanding like of, of the, uh, the metaphysical un- underpinnings of that uh, or the theology of that, if you want, 
I never really could vibe with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it's funny because in the sixties, that's everyone talked about that, right? Like yes, feel the yes. vibe, but, and I don't know if people really had a, an understanding of um, scientifically what that meant, you know, to feel the vibration of someone, but you know, everything is actually vibration, which people learned from taking LSD trips and whatever. And so I think this is how this new age um, idea of using frequency for healing and, and stuff like that. I think that's how that started to evolve because people were trying to understand this concept of vibration being applied to all these things that we thought were solid objects for instance, and it turns out they're not. They're they're collections of atoms that are held together by some mysterious force, and they're vibrating. You can find the spaces in between the vibrations, and that's how that's how you can, in terms of music, that's how you can develop your sound more. Because instead of thinking of your music in this horizontal way, you start thinking of your music in a in a vertical way. And then you just can just go really deep and you can explore all the different levels of just one sound, one tone. I'll, I'll want to drill down on the, on the vertical thing, but uh, let's just, let's just uh, bookmark it. If all is sound, you want to say that the universe is sound, God is sound, which would make sense like from a Christian perspective, because the, the word in the beginning was the word, right? Right. Uh, so that's a famous kind of a Christian theology. Um, is music then uh, entering into a relationship with the universe, uh, uh, opening, uh, uh, it's making an overture towards God, so to speak? Well, if, if you want to think of it this way, I mean, I, I love to always refer to John Cage when we're talking about stuff like this, because... Yeah. Cage was all about music as sound. And, and so he was famous for wanting to include the ambient sounds of a room or, or, or even outside of a room in the composition that was being performed. And he has a lot of pieces where that's kind of the concept. And then this, this famous one that he did four minutes and 33 seconds is the, the, player goes over to the piano and puts their hands on the piano, but doesn't play. And for four minutes and 33 seconds, there's just silence, but it's not silence. Of course. Because it's whatever sounds are happening in that, in the room or, or if you can hear outside the room at that time. So talking about that concept, that means that music, like the universe is music. Yeah. You know, if you say that music is, is a collection of sounds, and some people want to say, well, it's not just a collection of sounds. It's an organized collection of sounds. Hmm. But, okay, so maybe like, it's like my husband likes to say, everything's under control. We don't know by who, but it is under control. So That's maybe, thing, yeah. you know, God is arranging the sounds in, yes, into music. Yes. So there's that idea, too, you know, that every, every sound is a type of music. Yeah which I think without knowing is the reason why I chose the traditional closing question, which is what should people listen to? Because if you're paying attention, if you're listening, uh, what we're talking about here was what are we really listening to? Right. 
And if everything is frequency, then you can become much more aware of how different energies are moving through your little universe, you know, mm-hmm. your, your personal universe. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's like the most fascinating thing is mm-hmm. I, I just want to perceive how the energies are manifesting themselves and mm-hmm. things come and they go and what's that wave, you know, and I like to kind of join on that wave and be part of that wave if I can. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people would call that being in the zone or whatever they're calling it, but it's all about this percep- perception of frequency because everything has a frequency. So if you can perceive the frequency of everything, then you can attune to the one that makes you feel good and you can avoid the ones that you, you don't resonate with and you can be more uh, harmonious with the ones that you are resonating with. And realizing that frequency is a spectrum that includes vibrations that we can't even register with our senses you know so we we have low frequencies that rise up uh frequencies that can't be detected mm-hmm. by by us so we have and then we have sound and then we have light and then the light turns into other things infrared right, and right. all that so that spectrum is and and we i forget what the number is but the spectrum of frequencies that exist in the in the universe we human beings can only perceive like the tiniest tiniest bit of that spectrum mm-hmm. but i think that there's ways that we could feel maybe the other uh, extremes of frequency or or even just the spectrum parts of the spectrum that are outside what we can perceive with our senses i think you can feel that and basically that's what it is when you talk about the vibe of a person like, Oh, I really dug his vibe or, you know, Oh, I didn't resonate with her at all or whatever, however you refer to it. Yeah. These are all musical terms, the vibe, the resonance, a wave is a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. And as musicians, you know, we talk about that all the time, right? I remember you said that musicians had, had an incredible amount of power and they didn't know it. And I didn't quite under, I believed it because obviously I'm a musician and I want to believe that. And it's at this point, you know, I've made it, I've turned music into a sort of faith for myself, but I didn't, I I can't say that I truly understood that until I started to understand the nature of sound as you know, elucidated by Hazrat or, you know, Dante or, 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 and, you know, Ted Andrews and so forth, right? It's, we're turning sound into music in a way where, we're as musicians, we're, we're, it's, it's like a fractal. We're mirroring the ordered nature of the universe, but we're making that like more accessible or more immediate, Exactly. And you use the word fractal. And that's what I always think of when I think of someone like Coltrane. Because people say, well, he was playing so many notes that it was so busy. Right. And and they tell you in music school, play fewer notes. You're playing too many notes. 
you know, but then, and then, then students listen to Coltrane and they're like, well, he's playing a lot of notes, <laughs> but, it, yeah, but it's a different approach because he, to me, he's playing in a fractal way. So getting back to this idea of vertical, right? So he was presenting um, kind of a, a vertical approach to sound and a fractal, I think, approach to sound in the, in the sense of, of enfoldment of nested realities and the, the replication of frequency in uh, a smaller and smaller footprint, but it's like the octaves, right? So when you look at a fractal picture of a fractal, visual fractal, and you see this replicated image, but it gets smaller and smaller. And then if you put that in musical terms, mm. you would talk about octaves. Yes. So if you have an old fashioned tuner or whatever, you can see that the, the you know, the one that shows the, um, the, the frequency, not just the, the digital ones, but the um, analog ones. Uh-huh. And you can see you play a lower octave on your instrument and the, and it's very strong. Like the, the little squares that go by are big. Okay. And then when you go to the next octave, the squares are smaller and you go Mm. to the next octave and the squares are smaller. So to me, this is the same idea also as a fractal because Mm. you are uh, replicating um, an an essence of a frequency, but it's um, perception wise, it's diminishing or it's augmenting depending on which direction you go and it's also very popular with the new age people now to talk about density and dimension like we're we're entering the fifth density or the fifth dimension or whatever it is and that that's what fractals are and that's what octaves are it's the dimensions are are octaves Mm, interesting it reminds me of uh, the book flatland uh, where it's, it describes uh, if, you, if you were the denizen of a two-dimensional land that didn't have the dimension of depth, a sphere entering your world would simply appear as a circle increasing in size. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine, I, you're telling me that about Coltrane and I'm imagining a visualization of it, uh, if you look at it like a DNA uh, spiral uh, length, lengthwise, you see the spiral and everything's uh, like separated. There's a lot of space in between. But if you turn the spiral and look at it from the bottom to the top, uh, it's going to look like it's a super com- compressed piece of information, just like a disc with like, uh, just like so many lines and dots in it. Mm-hmm. So I think you're telling me that Coltrane was playing on a higher dimension, but the only way to translate that to where we are is to make it look like, like, a, like, the, like the spiral viewed from the bottom or this, the, the circle increasing in size. Yeah, I think you could look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we see, we hear more things, but if we were able to 
hear it from like a more divine divine mind it would sound uh, perhaps sparse yeah or if you were approaching it from another dimension i'd never i'd never <laughs> never occurred to me to think of coltrane's music that way but but it resonates right yeah yeah like i i've i'd listened to it and and enjoyed it because it's just wild but yeah it never occurred to me that uh, he would be channeling something from a higher dimension and it results in that sort of thing translated into this dimension i remember my attraction to to coltrane when i was a young player was the um the earlier coltrane like the later stuff that that was more uh, you know, with, with Rashid Ali and Archie Shep and with more, you know, more experimental, let's say the later, the later things. I never related to that, that, that much. And I remember when I was a young and a colleague of mine played me, I don't know, Ascension or something like that. And he's like, Oh, listen to this tune. And the tune starts and it's a crazy. It's like, <laughs> and he goes yeah that's the melody (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that for you it must have been uh like a, a bit of a paradigm shattering moment or well it was something that i knew that there was um a level or we can even say dimension there that i wasn't getting I right. I just wasn't getting it and I wanted to get it because I knew that this, this was something really important. It took many more years for me to understand on any kind of a level what was going on there. Mm. So that now I th- I have a an empathy for what he was doing in those years that I didn't have before. You get the sense that it, it that he was just a tireless explorer and just could not stop trying to find what the outer edge was, or why do you think? Well, I'm, and, not, I'm not that familiar with Coltrane, but so I'm. And, well, he know. was a very spiritual man, and I, I don't see. know if you know this, but there's a church that recognizes him as their major, their their patron saint. Oh wow! It's in where is it? I want to say San Francisco. I think. Gotta make note of that. <laughs> yeah, it's the and I, it, it's the Church of Coltrane. Wow. So if I knew, you look, I knew look there was up. an Al Green started a church. Al Green, uh, the singer. Yeah, he he started a church. He retired and started a church. Oh, awesome! Well, this this church, the the Church of Coltrane, was uh, it still exists and they have services and everything. Coltrane and Church. Yeah. They recognize uh, the spirituality of John Coltrane and wow. he, that he was seeking through his music a a direct connection with God and a way to express what he felt was uh, the energy of the divine energy, let's say. Huh. Yeah. I, I see it here. Mass Sunday noon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're a still lo- going. Yeah. First Sunday, every month, a love Supreme meditation. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Cool. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I um that's something I'm definitely going to have to explore. I also uh recently found out that when asked where he'd learned his dance moves, 
uh, Elvis Presley said he'd learned them at his Pentecostal church. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely some sort of relationship with like charism and, you know, calling down the spirit with music and dance. Uh, there's something spooky going on there. Yeah. I mean, Elvis's music could never have existed without the black music. No. no. So, and he knew that. Yeah. It, it's really uh, an amazing contribution to worldwide culture that the, that the, the, the black musical experience has, has given everybody. It's really, yeah. really, you yeah. can't emphasize it enough. And then, and, and also the fusion of the different races co- coming with their musical concepts that were formed from their culture and then meeting and creating incredible hmm. uh, fusions is also amazing. I mean, what the Cuban people have contributed, what the, uh, what the brazilian people have contributed Hmm. um what would culture be without these expressions be pretty uh pretty bland (laughs) and if you think about it the last i think i i i would be comfortable asserting that the last significant musical innovation has been hip-hop i think we haven't seen what comes after hip hop. We don't yet live in a post hip hop world. And yet the hip hop concept comes from something very ancient. You know, yes. this storyteller tradition, mm. these, the, the epics and the poems. Yeah. Master of ceremony. It's <laughs> ceremonial, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's, if you, that's, that's a big topic that I, uh have not yet like uh you know delved into i'm definitely i'm interested in reading the history of haiti uh and their relationship to music but uh yeah if you want to talk about tell me about uh the contribution of uh black music as you see it i'd love to hear more about that just to so that i can have a better understanding of it well let's let's talk about the blues and this uh, genre created in the Mississippi Delta that was this real combination of African music and European music, because there was really no American music. Mm-hmm. Everything came out, all the American music came out of the blues. Mm-hmm. And then, but that, but also there's an interesting correlation with different types of ethnic music. Like you can listen to Celtic music, you know, the Irish stuff. And you can be like, well, that could almost be from Appalachia. Yes. You know, so you you start hearing the more music you listen to in your life, the more connections you start making with everything. And just, I think that that's such a beautiful thing about music music might be the the most inclusive thing that exists in the whole world, even more than food. Yeah. 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 Everybody recognizes a rhythm when it's, when it's tapped out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
pop goes the weasel, you know. <laughs> Have you ever uh, seen this video with Bobby McFerrin? Yes, he, yes, it was recommended jumping. to me. Yeah, he jumps on the squares. And he he shows you how deeply embedded into the psyche the pentatonic scale is. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. I mean, the pentatonic scale is worldwide. How did that yeah. happen? You know, that so that shows you that at that the pentatonic scale, let's say, or even even musical scales, major scales even. But most scales come out at the octave. So the octave and, the, and then the pentatonic scale as a, a smaller subdivision of the octave being so universal shows you that it is something from the universe. Yes. It's not something from any individual culture. Yes. It's a divine language. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I would say, because you got me thinking now about music from different like kind of ethnic enclaves and uh, how there's no such thing as american music it's it's well it's i didn't say I, I didn't say there's no such thing oh well i guess yeah so i understand what you mean it's it comes from the delta is i think is what you're from the fusion of the different cultures right 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 i see Be- yeah because america is a new country it's yes. only 200 whatever years old so um the it's not like talking about Africa no. or China right. or even European countries, you know? So the Africans, I mean, they had thriving cultures when Europeans were living in caves. Mm. So it's a, it, it's a, it's a timeline, but everything already was there before the United States of America decided right. to be a thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Here's a question that's impossible to answer. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody can, you know, um, it's where are we at with music, and uh, where are we? Where 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 might hmm, what visions come to you when you think about where we're going with music? Well, here's the thing. I don't know where we're going, but I, what I do know, I know what the the young musicians coming up, I know what they have to do in order to get wherever it is that we're going. And what they have to do is go more to the vertical instead of the horizontal, because musicians have to bring something extra special to the table now. Because we've been too commodified. Music is such a disposable thing now. The, and I, I'm not saying that there's not fans of music, you know, music cognoscenti, that they, they just love, love, love music. And they, they really listen to it. They don't put it on when they're vacuuming the house, you know. But, but there's always been very few of those people. You know, there weren't any, the, the ratio of that type of person who really listens to music as opposed to the rest of the population who use music. You know, they use it as the background to their life or they use it to as entertainment or, or whatever. That ratio has always, I think, pretty much stayed the same inside the population. So if you're going to 
uh, if you're a musician, I mean, look who's playing music now. I mean, people go into the music business sometimes just to make money and just to kind of copy formulaic things and try to get their own hit, you know, so it's not really coming from any kind of a passion to create. It's coming off this commercial um, motivation. Hmm. And then you have a a lot of people that are just uh, in music and they're not on a very high level, maybe. Um, But the commercialization of music now is all about making anybody think they can do it. Hmm. And I I think it's great. I think people should enjoy uh, experimenting with, with music. It's just that the people who are really, really serious about making music and are on a high level, their stuff get mixed in, mixed in with everybody else. Yeah. So it's hard to find them. Yeah. We don't have a tradition like of initiation in music. Uh, We don't, you know, it used to be that if you if you played music in some sort of official capacity, it wasn't it was difficult to get there. And there, there's certain trainings, certain demonstrated skills that needed to to be there. I'm talking about like several hundred years ago, right? Yeah, and uh, if you were good, people found out about you. Promoters found out about you, and then you made records. Mm-hmm. But now anyone can make records. Yes. So the that's the the double-edged sword of putting the ability to produce and distribute music uh, in the hands of everyone. Right. And, Um, you know, do we love it? Yeah, of course we love it. We love being able to, you know, play something and it can be, it could go out the next day. Yes. Uh, And, and we love that because creators are always creating, right? So Mm -hmm. we always want to do the next, the next thing. But, um, and notation programs, you know, has the existence of notation programs on the computer improved compositional ability? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, Mozart put out quite a lot of stuff before the age of 35 and when he died and um, he didn't have a computer notation program. So, Well, Mozart comes out of a very different, reality yeah we're in our reality with everything being diffused uh we're perhaps losing a center so we we have the ability to do much but uh do we have guidance on what to do how we should do what shapes our character to do only good things right we don't necessarily have this structure as much as there is legitimate criticism to lay at the foot of the church, we can't forget that the cost of losing it is that sort of tradition. Well, the the church is a great unifying structure mm-hmm. in society. So I don't think you can, you can, you know, throw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. <laughs> With the holy you can water, say that with the holy water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this sort of where I'm at, I, uh, I I would say I'm roughly in the same position. It's uh, like you're saying, mus- musicians need to reinvigorate their relationship to the vertical. And I think with this project, I'm trying to remind musicians which what what you 
said in your the first episode, which is you have an incredible amount of power and you don't know it. So I'm, I'm trying to say, okay, so now you know it. And now what? <laughs> right? uh, we got we to gotta decide what to do with this power. And right, because you, otherwise you have this uh, something that could be dangerous even. Yeah, especially if you have no direction. Not definitely not here to moralize or tell people that have to, you know, join a church or, or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a member of a church, uh, but I think that it's time to have the conversation uh, amongst musicians that okay, we we are in touch with something very, very deep, very, very human, uh, very transcendent of the human condition at the same time, and we can't all just be frigging around. We, we gotta, we gotta make a plan here. We gotta mm-hmm. find a road roadmap for how, where we're going to go. And it, I don't think it needs to be grandiose. Uh, it can be like your learning is Shakuhachi. I kind of see it as part of that, uh, of that momentum of having a, a relationship with what music is um, you know you have you have your biz- music business requirements and you have your financial requirements but do you have a practice like a your music practice music as a faith music as a spiritual path practice i think that that's going to have to be something that becomes kind of a just a what 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 you, like a conventional thing that people talk about now um just more and more become a mainstream thing um, it's like maybe 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 the best way to explain it is not even with music but is with this story that i heard about this guy he's an archer so like bow and arrow right but this guy you can find him on youtube except i forget his name i'm sorry <laughs> but he can do all kinds of amazing tricks. Oh, like the ride. tricks guy, yes. Yeah, he can ride horses and, you know, shoot the middle of the apple and he can yes. um, be upside down on the horse and get the bullseye and all. So when I saw an interview with him and he was like, well, I wanted to go to the source of archery. And that's what I always talk about in music. You got to go to the source. Well, what's the source? Okay, for him, he had to go to all these ancient books Mm. and paintings that depicted archers. So he had to do this um, very intense study. And it's not like there was a database that you could go on the internet and find database of uh, archers in history. I don't think there was any such thing. So he had to just find the source was dispersed mm-hmm. and he had to go and find all these different elements of the source and put them together. And that's how he arrived at the at the skill level that he's at now, mm-hmm. because he went to the source. So if, in music, if we talk about going to the source, what is that? That's the sound itself. And then if you want to start dividing the sound. Now you get frequencies and you get different frequencies because the sound has different levels. It has overtones. It has undertones. It has virtual sound. It has spectral sound. Like when, if you play, I don't know if you hear this on guitar, I guess you probably do, but like on a wind instrument or something, 
there's uh, two, at least two levels of the sound that are really obvious. There's kind of an undertone. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the, this part of the sound that has more edge to it. And in shakuhachi, that's really important. My teacher is always talking about that when I take my lessons online. He's always talking about you have to have these two levels of the sound merging yeah. in your complete sound. You have to be able to separate them, actually. And then they, they come together in a unified presentation. And it wow. was interesting when I first discovered that I discovered this on my own because musicians don't talk about it. And then and I wrote about it in one of my books, Practice Like the Pros. And I still get people, I wrote that book 20 years ago, and I still get people writing to me about that concept. You know, they want me to explain it more. When I discovered it, I was uh, playing long tone. So I was trying to go to the source. And I did that because it was actually a practical reason because I had changed horns. So I was playing alto saxophone. So I had a, an older horn where the brass was a different composition and um, it was old. It was like from 1942, I think. And you could actually take your nail and kind of make a dent in the brass. That's how soft it was. And I just wanted, I wanted a newer instrument that, the metal wasn't so fragile and that the keys didn't have all the play in it that they had. So anyway, I, that's when I became a Yamaha artist and I started playing their silver alto saxophone. But when I got the horn, it didn't sound anything like the first horn. And I wanted, the reason I had bought the first horn was because I wanted that. That's the type of horn that you buy if you want to develop that, a sound, a certain type of sound that's associated with that era. Okay. And so I got the sound that I wanted, but then I had to transfer it to this new instrument. And so I was practicing long tones into the wall every day so that the sound would come back at me. And that's when I discovered those two levels of sound. Right. But yeah, even, you know, when you have one note, okay, so you have the, the timbre of that note and the timbre is made up of these different levels of sound, right? That's why an, a trumpet sounds different from a flute. Sounds different mm -hmm. from a violin because, mm -hmm. and this is called the timbre in, in French, like T-I-M-B-R-E. Mm -hmm. And, and it's the characteristic sound of that instrument or someone's voice. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you recognize your friend on, on the phone without them saying who they are because you hear the timbre of their voice mm -hmm. or you hear, you know, your favorite singer on the radio and you know who it is. So the timbre is this collection of the different levels of sound yeah. the different waveforms so in the end we're always coming back to frequency mm -hmm. the sound mm -hmm. yeah. so musicians of today if they are gonna bring anything to the table because little kids there's little kids that play great music you know what are you going to bring to the table especially when you get older and you're not cute anymore <laughs> <laughs> well let me uh i think we're cute <laughs> <laughs> we're cute for older people <laughs> there you go. let's give ourselves a little bit of a of a pass <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah. know because of the commercialization it, yeah. it's where the music industry is very focused on youth it's not focused on music very much. <laughs> not really. It's focused on visuals, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
but but let's let's be real visual is another frequency yeah so if we really want to go to the source and we're going to talk about this frequency spectrum then we need to include all of that Mm. in our presentations yeah it's interesting that you're you're uh because you're an accomplished musician you are describing this in a in a almost technical way uh where is it too technical i'm sorry no not at all it's i think it's fascinating because you're able to because for for the next generation of musicians to be able to learn this uh they have to to know the mechanics of the music of life and because you're a, a, a musician with deep experience, you understand how it works. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know? a story that Billy Taylor told me personally. Hmm. He said he went to a club when he was young and Art Tatum was playing there. It was like, and it was like after his gig, he went to Art, Art Tatum's gig. Hmm. And he was sitting at the table with Art Art Tatum during the break and a young European guy comes over and says, Mr. Tatum, I would like to play for you. My version of your version of tiger rag. Okay. Right. And which was this, I mean, (laughs) crazy, you know? So Billy Taylor, he was thinking this guy's going to play arts version of tiger rag. Really? Oh, okay. Let's hear what this is going to be. So this young guy goes over to the piano and he starts playing. And Billy Billy said it was perfect. It was a perfect copy of what Art Tatum did on on his famous record that everyone knew. So Billy said he looked over at Art Tatum to see what Art's reaction was. And he was like, he didn't care. He was just sitting there. He wasn't impressed at all. You could mm. tell from, from looking at him. So Billy goes, but he, he couldn't believe it. He's like, how come he's not impressed with this young pianist? So he leans over and he says to Art, uh, don't you think this guy's pretty good? And Art said, he knows what I played, but he doesn't know why I played it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's heavy, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is what I'm talking about with the young musicians. There's a whole lot. It's not just the notes and it's not just what they teach you in music school. Mm-hmm. If you go to music school, you know, there's so much more mm-hmm. that's not there. And the only way you're going to find it is if you investigate yourself. And really anyone who became a master at anything that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. They did their own investigations because they were passionate about learning this thing. Yeah. That's why we get the cold train we got. Right. And, uh, and the cold train that's mysterious and puzzling and not immediately understandable. Uh, you know, they're showing us the way they went far into the wilderness, you know, to, to see if there was a there there. Mm-hmm. and uh and they brought back it there you know <laughs> yeah. and and look at these mu- great musicians like coltrane or or charlie parker or 
Clifford Brown or Bud Powell, you know, and I'm talking about jazz musicians, but they're, mm-hmm. of course, in any, every genre who died so young, mm. you know, Clifford Brown was what, 26 <laughs> when he died, you know, he's a legend. Mm. So maybe on some level they knew they weren't going to live long, mm. maybe in, on some level of humanity, mm. they knew this. Yeah, and so they made the they made dense use use of their time is what you're saying. Yeah. So imagine if you had more years to live. You know, the longer you have, the more chance you have to develop your concept and your sound yeah. and everything that goes along with it. Nobody knows how long they have, so you might as well live like you don't have long and you know, just try to go just explore the edges, find yep. the edges. Yeah. I don't think anyone can go wrong in and living every day as if, you know, it could be their last day. I don't yeah. think you can go wrong with that. I mean, not that you don't have in mind that it might not be your last day. Right. You know, <laughs> have a little money in the bank and whatever. <laughs> yeah. And not destroy yourself uh, entirely with drugs and alcohol. And Yeah, there and, you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Live as if it's your last, but assume there's another one. Right. And <laughs> probably someone said it better than we can say it. Some <laughs> no sage. Doubt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that was that was very interesting. Like uh, like the last time, you uh, you uh, remind me that there's something to this, but there's mostly things that I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, is uh, good but for did, my don't you feel like you um, you got a lot out of interviewing all the people, and you know it helped to deepen your own understanding oh, of yeah. what you wanted to do? Oh, for sure, for sure, and it, it did uh, help me under, understand that there are some things I know. You know, it's and it did help me kind of understand better why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I do want to help people. I do want to help musicians and it turns out there's a reason why I, you know, spent tens of thousands of dollars in this music thing without getting a penny back over a couple of decades. And it's, there's a reason why I never gave up this thing, even though it never turned into like a money-making career. It's a, it, it is a faith. It's a faith that I have that music matters and it has a salutary power. And um, at this point, like I've taken a turn with my music career and become a little bit more like a music evangelist, I guess, um, because I know I, I do believe that it has a healing power. And, you know, if if we can't agree on anything, I think we can all agree that at this point in time, we need healing. So if music's a medicine uh, by way of contact with a transcendent dimension uh then let's figure out this music thing and figure out how to how to heal with it right right totally and and it's not like you have to you know we go to music school let's say to get more knowledge or we study stuff to get more knowledge right but that's not the only thing that we're trying to get you know and plus there's different types of knowledge Mm -hmm. you know there's a type of knowing that has nothing to do with knowledge it's not like a collection of stuff that you memorized or that you can, you know, spew out. Their knowing is a primal thing. 
how a mother knows what the baby needs at a certain time, or it's knowing what that chord sequence is Yes, just by hearing it. Yeah. Well, why do you, when you compose a, a song, why do you put that note instead of this note? It's because you know that note's better. Right. <laughs> There's exactly. nothing inherent to the note that's better than the other note. Right. So you how are you going to, yeah. How are you going to learn that in a class? No yeah. one can tell you, well, okay. In this position, a flat is going to be better than, you know, how would you possibly, <laughs> you, you could never do that. So see the knowing just lets you go wherever you have to go and you don't have to worry, worry about holding on to knowledge. That's right. why they have the saying he's, He's forgotten more than you'll ever learn, you know, when they talk about some old guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. That's a good way to put it, uh, the the difference between knowledge and knowing. Yeah. So I want knowing because with the knowing, I can get whatever knowledge I need. Right. But if I keep trying to hang on to to knowledge, 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 that's never, that's going to block me from the knowing. Mm-hmm. And the, and getting the knowing involves a certain amount of surrender. And that's kind of the opposite of acquiring knowledge. Like we, we gather knowledge so that we're more powerful and we can do more stuff. But the sub, submission, and, and if you want to talk religious terms, that's what people ha- who have a true relationship with God, they always talk about um, surrendering to God. Yes. Well... I think that's the peak of this particular mountain. <laughs> I'm, uh, thanks a lot. We're not going to do the closing question because you're a return guest. Uh, so um, we'll just say bye-bye. I'm going to keep you on the line. I'm going to do a little show and tell here and then uh, oh, cool. wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a great conversation. And great advice to, once again, be focusing on raw sound, back to the source, but this time with a bit more specifics. This call to vertical music is quite interesting. I didn't quite understand it at first, but I've come around to it. I wrote about this on the blog, and you'll be able to read an article about it at musicmeaningandmystery.com. Before we conclude, I want to remind you, as promised, that there is a giveaway open until September 2022. You can enter the giveaway by emailing me at musicmeaningandmystery at gmail.com or using the contact page at musicmeaningandmystery.com. Include the words giveaway 2022 in the subject line to enter the giveaway. So, we started the conversation with Sue talking about the Sufi musician and writer Hazrat Khan. So, as this month's outro, I would like to share an excerpt from his book, Music of Life. The excerpt will be read by my friend, Timothy Saylor, who is the host of the Nightbird Radio podcast. I recommend listening to his podcast, and I've included a link in the show notes. There is a story of Tansane, the great musician at the court of Akbar. The emperor asked him, Tell me, O great musician, who was your teacher? He replied, Your majesty, my teacher is a very great musician, 
But more than that, I cannot call him musician. I must call him music. The emperor asked, Can I hear him sing? Tansain answered, Perhaps I may try, but you cannot think of calling him here to the court. The emperor said, Can I go to where he is? The musician said, His pride may revolt even there, thinking that he is to sing before a king. Akbar said, Shall I go as your servant? Tansain answered, Yes, there is hope then. So both of them went up into the Himalayas, into the high mountains, where the sage had his temple of music in a cave, living with nature, in tune with the infinite. When they arrived, the musician was on horseback, and Akbar was walking. The sage saw that the emperor had humbled himself to come hear his music, and he was willing to sing for them. And when he felt in the mood for singing, he sang. His singing was great. It was a psychic phenomenon and nothing else. It seemed as if all the trees and the plants of the forest were vibrating. It was a song of the universe. The deep impression made upon Akbar and Tansain was more than they could stand. They went into a state of trance, of rest, of peace. And while they were in that state, the master left the cave. When they opened their eyes, he was not there. The emperor said, Oh, what a strange phenomenon! But where has the master gone? Tansain said, You will never see him in this cave again. For once a person has had taste of this, he will pursue it, even if it costs him his life. It is greater than anything in life. When they were home again, the emperor asked the musician one day, Tell me what raga, what mode did your master sing? Tansain told him the name of the raga and sang it for him. But the emperor was not content, saying, Yes, it is the same music, but it is not the same spirit. Why is this? The musician replied, The reason is this, that while I sing before you, the emperor of this country, my master sings before God. That is the difference.